I find it stated by medical men that the very best cartery for the human body is a ball of crystal acted upon by the rays of the sun. This substance, too, has been made the object of a mania, for not many years ago, a mistress of a family, who was by no means very rich, gave 150,000 sesterces for a single basin made of crystal. Pliny the Elder. Welcome to the new age, the age of holistic healing and crystal therapy. You may have heard of this practice from your eccentric aunt and wrote it off as modern pseudoscience. While that may be true, the belief that certain stones hold certain beneficial properties has been around for thousands of years, from ancient Greece to the Middle Ages. So why stones? Why crystals specifically? I will make everything crystal clear to you on this alternative episode of Snipe Hunt. Welcome back to Snipe Hunt, your frightening folklore podcast. We're back from our extra-long hiatus. I am your holistic healing host, Darren Young. And in case you're wondering why you're still hearing the grating racket that is my voice instead of the smooth, luscious voice of my co-host Gary right now, it's because he is not here with me on this episode. He is currently taking a vacation from the podcast and is doing some reprioritization with his time, so for now it will just be me. But I know he's still listening, so hi buddy. I love you. I may rotate around some guest hosts, but for now, this new format, I at least wanted to try the first episode solo. Maybe do a few solo. We'll see how I feel. Now unfortunately, I don't have Gary's infectious laughter to force you to smile at my jokes, but I'll still try my best. I apologize in advance. I hope you guys enjoyed my reading of The Hound by H.P. Lovecraft. There were a couple weird audio artifacts because I was using an online auto-production service because I got lazy, but I think overall it's pretty good. So if you skipped it, I would definitely recommend checking it out if you need a spooky story. Some other news, which is now kind of old, is that my band, Spare the Dead, released our first single called Pyromaniac. We are a metalcore-ish band, so if that sounds like something you want to listen to, Check us out on Spotify or any other place you can listen to music. Shameless plug. I've also now switched to a new podcast hosting platform, Anchor. So if you follow me on Podbean, you may not see any more episodes posted there. I might still post either this one or a separate announcement on there just so you know. But you can still listen on all the same platforms that you usually listen on, like Spotify or any other podcast player. If Snipehunt isn't on your preferred player, let me know at snipehuntpodcast at gmail.com and I'll remedy that just for you. Okay, enough announcements. Um, since we focused so much on the horror the past few episodes, let's take a brief break to check out some healing crystals, which is usually thought to be a strictly recent New Age belief, but actually has quite a bit of historical precedence as far as the belief in the power of crystals. That being said, I'm definitely going to poke a lot of fun at this concept, so if you are a believer in crystal healing, just know that I'm not making fun of you as a person, Just everything that you believe in. So you might grab your crystals now to help you balance your emotions. I was kind of afraid of review bombs back in the Tulpa episode where I discussed Tulpamancers, but I can't let that hold me back, so let's get into it. That being said, I actually did buy a cheap, small piece of clear quartz crystal to prepare for this episode, and I have it here with me now, and it's definitely giving off the good vibes. 
A shout out to Lumina Crystals on Etsy. Maybe this will make me a believer. I also have a Himalayan salt lamp in my house, courtesy of my girlfriend Susan. Shout out to Susan. She's definitely not into crystals, but salt lamps do fall into that category. These salt lamps supposedly help one experience self-love, find a sense of purpose, and provide protection from evil. At least according to a site that sells salt lamps. Fun fact, my home state slash state I live in, Arkansas, is the quartz capital of the U.S. due to the amount of deposits and the world-class quality of quartz found here. Diamonds are also relatively abundant here to the point where we have a diamond on our flag and license plates. Also fun fact, you know how a lot of subdivisions and the burbs have little themes like on the name of the subdivision and the names of the streets? My neighborhood is crystal-themed. We have some fun street names like Tiger's Eye and Labradorite. Thankfully, I don't live on those, but it's almost like I was meant to do this episode. Although it's kind of all in the name, a definition is as good a place as any to start us off. So what exactly is crystal healing? What's so special about these rocks? Crystal healing is a form of alternative medicine that's classified as pseudoscience. Duh. Everyone has different ideas about how it's supposed to work, but essentially it is believed that crystals can dispel and or prevent bad energy, release blocked energy, or a variety of other things involving auras or chakras or ki, which we will explain later in the episode, that is supposed to produce positive physical, mental, and even spiritual effects. Before we dive into the wacky world of modern crystallogy, let's go through a timeline of past crystal beliefs. Disclaimer. Most of what I found from the historical accounts come from less than credible sources. I know, what a shocker. So if you happen to be an actual expert in ancient history, archaeology, or gemology, please correct me at sniphuntpodcast at gmail.com. According to some sketchy sources, the first historical records of crystals being used come from ancient Sumeria, as far back as 4500 BC in which certain stones were used in magical rituals. Slightly less sketchy sources claim that crystals, particularly quartz and jade, have been used in ancient Chinese medicine as far back as 3000 BC, which makes sense to me because everything has been used in traditional Chinese medicine. For example, one technique involving rocks is beyond stone therapy. This is one of humankind's oldest known medical practices and was the precursor to acupuncture. In Beyond Stone Therapy, heated, pointy stones were pressed into the soft tissue of the patient, and this technique was used to treat neck and back pain, skin disorders, and blood circulation. But, Beyond Stones are made of limestone, not any sort of mineral crystal. I've also seen that Greek philosopher Plato wrote about the extensive use of crystals in his account of the likely fake ancient city of Atlantis but I wasn't able to find the exact text to corroborate that, so take it as you will. What we know for sure is that ancient Egyptians freaking loved gemstones and crystals of all kinds and adorned them on every piece of jewelry they wore. And they wore so much jewelry. At least those in high society did. So it makes sense that they would believe these stones would hold certain mystical properties. I actually found a credible article on the significance of gemstones to ancient Egyptians from UCLA, simply titled Gemstones, written by Professor of Geology James Harrell. While they prized precious stones like emerald and sapphire for their material worth, they also valued semi-precious stones for their aesthetic, symbolic, or perceived magical significance. For example, 
Red, such as that in Garnet, represented life-giving blood, vitality, and the sun. For green, such as that in Amazonite, represented fertility, joy, and lush vegetation. Unfortunately, these sources do not mention the use of these stones in any sort of medical practice, but it's clear that gemstones were very significant in ancient Egyptian culture. Although I did find a different source that claimed that the Jasper Stone was linked to fertility and represented the blood of the ancient Egyptian goddess Isis, which is said to drive away evil spirits as well as protect against snake and spider bites and even shield one from death. Ancient Greeks also love their crystals. In fact, the word crystal is derived from the Greek word krystalos, which means ice. Ice is also a modern slang term used to refer to diamonds, so we've pretty much come full circle. Jasper, like in Egypt, was also linked to fertility in Greece and believed that tying the stone to a woman's thigh would provide relief from the pain of childbirth. Our first real use of crystals to either relieve pain in some sort of medical fashion. So here we go. The favorite stone of the Greek party animals was definitely amethyst. The name of this crystal is derived from the Greek word amethystos, which meant sober, non-intoxication, and non-drunkenness. It is associated with the god of wine Dionysus and was often fastened to goblets to prevent overindulgence. It was also thought to cure hangovers. What a, what a handy stone. As you heard in the cold opening, controversial Roman author Pliny the Elder wrote about the mystical properties of crystals, and even Roman physician Galen believed that green jasper was beneficial for the stomach and esophagus. Although gemstones were primarily valued for their monetary worth throughout the Middle Ages, there were various beliefs in the mystical properties of gemstones. The belief that gemstones had healing properties was called lapidary medicine, and the alleged properties of these stones were written in texts called Lapidaries. Duh. One such lapidary was Bishop Albertus Magnus's The Book of Secrets of Albertus Magnus and the Virtues of Herbs, Stones, and Certain Beasts. I did that accent because Old English is weird and I was trying to pronounce it how it's spelled. I apologize. In which the bishop suggests that the healing stone may be held directly to the skin or more specifically be wrapped in a linen cloth in a callous skin and born under a left arm hole, which I assume means wrap the stone up and hold it in your armpit. You know, I've had a few doctors actually to suggest the same thing for me. What a weird coincidence. Anyway, uh, medieval philosopher Raymond Lowell was adamant about the mystical properties of stones, claiming crystals were imbued with celestial power. He prescribed King Robert of Sicily to wear emerald as it, quote, mitigates the one who wears it, and eliminates impatience from the human body, and resists the devil, so he cannot harm him by a noxious temptation. He also wrote, quote, On the virtues of carbuncle, or ruby, and how it is the master of all stones, its virtues are many and powerful. If you wear it, neither spiritual poison can harm you, nor air, nor water, however poisonous it may be, nor even the sight of a basilisk. And if you remember, call back to our dragons episode. The basilisk is a half chicken, half snake-like dragon, which can allegedly turn people to stone with its gaze. Lowell also believed that diamond protected one from nightmares, increased both wisdom and intellect, prevented poisoning, and granted one victory over his enemies. So now we're at the transition from ancient crystal practices to new age beliefs. Modern day beliefs primarily stem from three cultures. British Pagan, Indian, 
a Native American. So let's roll through those. The first is probably what we're all most familiar with, and what we associate most with Western esoteric practices. Paganism. Specifically, European paganism. Even more specifically, British paganism. Most of what we know about British paganism comes from assumptions made by scholars during the Celtic Revival and Gaelic Revivals, periods of interest in a culture's past, which stemmed out of 18th century Romanticism. And those scholars based their ideas on previous Christian authors who also made assumptions about the various pagan belief systems found in the British Isles. So, not really reliable and subject to bias, so kind of hard to tell. Honestly, the closest thing we have to a well-documented pagan culture is that of the Vikings, who in addition to living in more northern countries, made their way down and settled in the British Isles often. The Vikings had their own special crystal, the Sunstone, a medieval Icelandic manuscript called, whew, oh boy, the Ralofspatr, that's not how you pronounce it at all, but I tried my best, contains the following passage. The weather was thick and snowy, as Sigurar had predicted. Then the king summoned Sigurar and Dagger to him. The king made people look out, and they could nowhere see a clear sky. Then he asked Sigurar to tell where the sun was at that time. He gave a clear assertion. Then the king made him fetch the solar stone and held it up and saw where the light radiated from the stone and was thus directly verified Sagara's prediction. So this sunstone seemed to be able to determine the location of the sun on a cloudy day, and this helped the Vikings on the navigations of their ships. So how does this work? Magic? Yes, actually, it was actually magic. Weird. Anyway, moving on. Well, according to sciencemag.org, one can find the sun by detecting polarization, the orientation of light waves. Even on a cloudy day, the sun still forms patterns of light with the sun at its center. If you have the right tool, you can find these light patterns and trace them back to their source. One theory is that the sunstone was calcite, a crystal with a property called birefringence. Light passing through calcite is split along two paths and forms a double image on the other side. You can use this to find the sun by orientating the calcite until two images of light on your side are equally bright. So there you go. I don't know if you understood any of that. I barely did, but we're moving on. Cool science stuff, I guess. New Age practitioners, as well as practitioners of Wicca, borrow a lot of their beliefs and traditions from Anglo-Saxon and Celtic paganism. Though probably not very much, as most of what we know from Anglo-Saxon slash Celts comes from archaeological discoveries, leaving us to only guess the significance of what we find. Although, literal crystal balls have been found in Iron Age graves within England and often enclosed in a precious metal such as silver. They might have held some mystical significance, or maybe they were just jewelry. However, there are some records of later, in the Middle Ages, of stones being perceived as magical, such as the Clach na Bratach, or Stone of the Standard, which was found by the chief of the Donatleth of the Donachath clan on the way to join Robert the Bruce in the Battle of Bannockburn. Man, this whole thing is just a tongue twister for me. And the crystal ball was seen as a good omen. The stone was carried into battle for 400 years, until 1715, when there was an internal flaw observed in the stone. After it was retired from battle, it was allegedly noticed that the stone had healing properties, and was last seen in the 1820s 
being used to transform a bowl of water into a bowl of water with healing properties. Now let's go to the Far East to learn about the significance of gemstones in India. The mystical properties of these crystals stem from the Hindu story of their creation, as portrayed in the religious texts Garuda Purana and the Grahagakara Jyotisha. Nailed it. Uh, long story short, some Hindu demigods invited the demon Vala to a pretend sacrifice ritual performance. So they were like going to act out a, a sacrifice, but not actually sacrifice anything, allegedly. Vala attended the party and allowed himself to be tied up for the sake of said performance, only to find that the demigods weren't joking about the sacrificing part. And so the demigods dismembered the demon Vala, and his body parts became gem seeds that spread all over the earth. Bamboozled. So here we go. Rubies are the blood of Vala, and the stone now relates to blood circulation and courageousness. Pearls are the teeth of Vala that fell into the sea. They represent calmness. Yellow sapphire is the skin of Vala. This stone promotes general well-being. Hesonite is the fingernails of the demon. Hesonite protects it against insanity and promotes scientific thinking. Emerald is the bile of Vala that enables psychic ability, learning ability, and clairvoyance. And so on and so forth. It's a long list. Uh, rock crystal, a type of quartz, is the semen of the demon and also represents calmness. Moving on. Modern-day practitioners of many religions in India, such as Hinduism, Sikhism, and Tibetan Buddhism, all use crystals or some type of crystal healing in their beliefs. Crystal practices among Native American tribes were harder to pin down, and it is speculated that these techniques were passed on orally, especially among the Cherokee and Apache tribes, and were eventually lost due to no written records. Not to mention the practices of each individual tribe are all different. Spiritual healer and author Luke Borgalt. Sorry, I didn't look up any pronunciation guides for these, so I apologize. I'm sure it's really annoying to hear me just screw up every pronunciation. So, so I'll try better in the future, I guess. Okay, luckily he goes by a different name. Blue Eagle discusses this in his book, American Indian Secrets of Crystal Healing. And if everything I read about this guy is true, he does in fact seem to be a legitimate expert in Native American healing techniques. The French name is because he was born in French Canada, and although it doesn't seem like he's a native himself, he allegedly was adopted into the Green Mountain Band of Eastern Cherokee Tribe and was awarded a Native American passport by some sort of indigenous people's government entity. But still, there's no real way to verify his credentials without an extensive investigation. Blue Eagle also teaches a crystal healing course and claims to teach the crystal-related practices of the Apache, Cherokee, Navajo, Hopi, and even the Maya peoples. He essentially describes crystals as amplifiers of energy and really delves into the New Agey concepts that we're about to cover, but he also claims that modern crystal therapy practices are full of misinformation, so he's a little contradictory. Some of the things covered in Blue Eagle's course includes purification and care of crystals, the fundamental laws of healing and the programming of crystals, and how to prepare essences and the body's electromagnetic field. Sounds interesting. All right, so before we really get into it, there are a couple terms and concepts that you should know about before we reference them later. You've probably at least heard of these before. The first of which is the Chinese concept of qi. Qi is usually translated as vital life force. 
and is essentially the energy of life. It goes beyond that and has been described as the energy that makes up and affects all things in the universe. As a certain Jedi Knight would describe it, it is an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's the Jedi. In traditional Chinese medicine, it is essential to balance one bodily key for good health. This practice of balancing is called Qigong. And then we have the more complex Hindu concept of chakras, known collectively as Tantra. Here is an oversimplification of the chakra system. There are non-physical nodes of psychic energy located within each person's physical body. These are the chakras, typically depicted as spheres within Hindu and Buddhist artworks. They are connected by energy channels called nadi. The manipulation or clearing of these chakras can have various effects, including improving physical or spiritual health. The number of chakras have varied over the years, from just 4 to over 88,000, according to some, but they are typically just between 4 and 7. Today, we will refer to the 7 chakra system. I won't list them all here, but here's an example. The Manipura is the third primary chakra and is located above the navel. The Manipura chakra is associated with the color yellow and is seen as the energy center of the body and responsible for willpower, the action of movement, the power of fire, and the sense of sight for some reason. Uh, the last term we need to cover is aura. An aura is a psychic energy field that surrounds living things and sometimes even non-living things. Different people have different auras, which can vary in size, color, and even vibrations. Unlike the last terms, aura as we know it is a concept from the Western world, although it was most likely inspired by Eastern beliefs. The concept was popularized by former priest Charles Webster Leadbeater, a member of the Theosophical Society, an occult organization who practiced a wide variety of weird beliefs. We've referenced them before, I think. I just can't remember the episode. Anyway, old Charlie claimed to have clairvoyant powers and claimed that he discovered that most men here on Earth actually come from Mars and the more advanced of us come from the moon. This is the kind of stuff the government is hiding from you. Wake up, sheeple! Charles heavily influenced modern New Age beliefs as he wrote about and combined various belief systems like auras, chakras, psychic energy, etc. included many of his own ideas in his works. Alright, now let's get into the fun stuff. What actually makes crystals healing? Well, Beginner's Journey to Crystal Healing by Ian Townsend has some examples for us. He explains that crystals have a wide variety of uses, one of them being healing. As far as physical injury goes, Townsend claims that crystals can ease pain, reduce blood loss, help with injured bones, and treat infections. He also puts a disclaimer that one should always seek out professional medical aid, of course. But the majority of crystal healing for physical ailments usually goes to the more mundane of maladies, like to relieve headaches, aid in digestion, alleviate back pain and joint problems, breathing troubles, and increasing energy levels. Townsend also claims that certain crystals can even help with heart disease and kidney troubles. Now, I think believing his crystal healing is fine, but please go seek out an actual doctor if you're really having issues. Now, it's not just for the physical body, but crystals allegedly assist with the mental and spiritual self as well. In his book, Townsend claims that they can help with stress relief, addiction, depression, and grief. 
Bold claims, Mr. Townsend. They can supposedly help boost more positive energies like inspiration and creativity, relaxation, productivity, motivation, and focus. Man, maybe I do need some crystals that could actually help me put out some podcast episodes on a regular basis. Eh, probably not. So this is just a few of the things that crystals can supposedly affect. There are many, many, many more claims of the effects of crystals on the body and mind that are just too many to list here. Now, each type of crystal has its own unique properties and effects. Let's go through some of these now since we're already talking about the effects of crystals. Now, as with everything on this subject, the effects of different crystals vary widely and often overlap with each other, just so you know. So I'm going to just go over the most popular crystals that you would find in any white woman's collection, as well as just some that catch my interest. First up is clear quartz. That's what I got. I purchased clear quartz crystal for a couple of reasons. One, because it was the cheapest, and two, because it is the go-to beginner crystal. It is extremely balanced, is a universal crystal energy amplifier, and is known as the master healer. That's basically good for anything. It helps stimulate the immune system, it's good for problem solving, cleansing auras, charging other crystals, and helps treat migraines, vertigo, and motion sickness. Quartz also comes in varieties such as Rose, Smoky, and Cathedral. Maybe I should get Smoky Quartz as it's supposed to encourage humor. Amethyst is probably the second most popular of the crystals. This vibrant purple gemstone protects you from negative energy and psychic attacks. It helps regulate your mood and boost your spiritual self. Next we have Tourmaline and Black Tourmaline. Regular tourmaline comes in various shades from pink to green, and it promotes strength, self-confidence, compassion, and healthy bones. The pink variety boosts feminine energy, and the green variety boosts masculine energy. Black tourmaline is a very protective stone. It cleanses toxic vibes, provides protection from energy vampires, and shields against the harmful effects of electromagnetic fields. Those damn EMFs. Fun fact, there is a controversial condition called electromagnetic hypersensitivity or electrohypersensitivity where exposure to EMFs causes symptoms such as dizziness, headaches, or tingling. The condition was made somewhat famous by the excellent Breaking Bad spinoff, Better Call Saul. It is controversial because most experts don't think it's real and believe it's all in the sufferer's head. The opposite of a placebo effect is a nocebo effect and is most likely the cause for this affliction. A nocebo is, quote, a detrimental effect on health produced by psychological or psychosomatic factors, such as negative expectations of a treatment or prognosis. So basically, if you believe that electromagnetic fields are bad for you, then they probably will be bad for you. Next, we have the tiger's eye. This golden orange black stone boosts courage, confidence, and prosperity. It is also said to sharpen one's senses, especially sight. Next is Labradorite, a blue goldish stone. Now it is not named after the dog, but the region of Labrador, Canada, from which the dog breed also gets its name. As far as the crystal goes, it promotes spiritual alignment, balancing chakras, protecting the aura, and dispelling bad vibes. It allows one's innate magical powers to surface. It enhances the powers of clairvoyance, 
telepathy, and prophecy. So it is apparently a great stone for wizards. It actually does look like a wizard stone. You know, like the old, like the Merlin depiction where he's like all blue and gold. It looks similar to that. So you can totally see someone like Gandalf using it for something. Uh, citrine, an orange stone which promotes health and wealth, aids in digestion, aids in smoothing family or group problems, and shields against spite and jealousy. But be careful, as it might also enhance aggressiveness in some people, so it's not recommended for those with anger issues. Man, I didn't know uh, crystals came with side effects. I guess ask your doctor if citrine's right for you. Pyrite, aka Fool's Gold, is a brass yellow mineral that bears a resemblance to gold, hence the nickname. It also protects from EMFs, boosts masculine energy, and protects from both physical and psychic attacks. It also promotes male eroticism and prevents impotence. Ladies. Finally, we have Moonstone, a pearly stone with a, quote, tangible connection of power to the moon. It protects those who travel by the light of the moon and is recommended that one keeps it in their car as it protects against road rage due to its soothing effect on the emotional body. Man, I could definitely use this one too. Kind of contradictorily, it is also the ultimate stone of eroticism and fertility. Ladies. It stimulates carnal desires and if worn in a necklace during lovemaking, it harmonizes the body with a natural lunar cycle. Interesting. It is recommended that you make an entire grid of 13 moonstones in the bedroom, 12 in a circle around the bed representing the 12 months, and one located under the center of the bed. If I were selling moonstones, I would also say that you needed to buy at least this many. And I'll stop there as we could probably do an entire separate podcast on the various stones and their effects. But other common ones include obsidian, turquoise, garnet, and opal, with many, many, many less common ones. So all these crystals have positive effects, which got me thinking. Are there any stones that give off bad luck? Bad juju? Or worst of all, bad vibes? Well, according to the website Crystal Curious, the short answer is no. All crystals are lame and only exude positive energy. They did say that you could have a negative reaction to a crystal if a particular stone isn't what you needed right now. Like if you're trying to use a stone associated with feminine energy to promote masculine energy. Or if the stone is making you confront difficult feelings in order to facilitate change. Boring. Where are my metal AF stones? Well, Crystal Curious does mention that some stones are able to pick up negative energy from its environment, but basically says that it's your fault and not the stones. That's according to that New Age website anyway. Luckily for us, actual folklore has some bad crystals for us. Opal has always usually been considered a good luck stone, but in the past has also believed to bring misfortune. This bad rep might stem from Sir Walter Scott's novel, Anne of Geierstein, in which a character named Lady Hermione always wore a dazzling opal in her hair. However, when the opal was sprinkled with holy water, the stone lost its color and Hermione fainted and eventually turned into a pile of ashes. As one does. She was accused of being a demon in the story. Opal has also been connected to the bubonic plague, with some claiming that the opals of the afflicted lose their color when the owner dies. But the reality is that opals are a delicate gemstone, and water can often change or damage its color. The concept of opals being bad luck is often ignored, forgotten, 
or just considered untrue and favored for its more positive reputation. Like other bad stones, Black Diamond has a dual nature of being considered both good and evil. An Italian superstition holds that if a married couple touches a black diamond, it will bring them good fortune. However, in India, these gems are considered the harbingers of death, as its dark color was associated with the inky eyes of a snake or spider. Pearls have many positive qualities in modern-day lapidarianism. Yes, that's a word I made up, but it fits. But in many cultures, pearls also carry a negative connotation. In Japan, pearls were thought to be the tears of mermaids. In ancient Greece, they were the tears of the gods. In Victorian times, pearls were often worn while mourning to represent human tears. It is said that these marine minerals shouldn't be given to a bride on her wedding day, as they can bring sadness to her marriage. Back to the positive stuff. So how does one use a healing crystal? Do I just need to go to my local flower power cult shop, get some gravel, and bada bing bada boom the earth goddess Gaia heals my gout? Or maybe wear a bunch around my neck like a hippie Johnny Depp? Maybe fashion them into my dream catcher, which I definitely own unironically? Well, it turns out you have to prepare the crystals before you start rubbing them on warts. These preparations are tedious, but are super important if you want to do it correctly. The first step is cleansing the crystal. It is recommended that you do that before and after each use, especially if someone else touches your precious with their dirty, grubby hands. This step cleanses the crystal of any stored energy that would murk it and or block its energy potential. One method is to simply put the crystal under running cold sink water and then drying it off. You can also put the muddled crystal next to a different mineral, such as iron or iodine, or any other crystal known as an energizer to cleanse your crystal of choice. This method just sounds like you need to go through the trouble of cleaning the energizer crystals too, since you're already using that to clean a different crystal. It just seems like you're going in circles. I don't know. Uh, holding the crystal for prolonged periods of time while under a white or yellow light can also cleanse the stone. However, it is advised that this may be a fire hazard due to the crystal refracting and focusing light like a magnifying glass onto a flammable surface. So yeah, maybe not that one. Uh, salt is also used for cleansing, but it can erode or damage the crystal, so it is not advised. And obviously, the last method for cleansing is flower petals. Why am I not surprised? But yeah, just soak your rose or chrysanthemum petals in water, then put the crystal in a bowl full of wet flower parts and wait a few hours. And then bam, you have a clean crystal. Other methods include burying them for a while, using sound to cleanse the bad vibes away, or of course, burning sage around the rock. When in doubt, smudge it. That's just step one. Now that your crystal is thoroughly cleansed with tap water, flower parts, table salt, and the light from your bedside lamp, it's time to charge that bad boy. Charging the crystals is the most important step, as this stores them with the energy needed to do all the various things it needs to do. Without this step, you just have a pretty rock. This part is pretty simple though. Simply let your crystal absorb the light of the sun and or moon to complete the charging process. Yes, sun rays and moonbeams. That's all you need. Conveniently enough, this also cleanses the crystal, so you can get step one and two done in one fell swoop. But they still aren't ready to use. Next, you have to program the rock. And you don't use Java or C++ or even HTML. Programming is essentially imprinting the owner's essence onto the crystal, 
which gives the rock purpose and allows it to be more effective to its user. It, quote, encodes the crystal with the user's psyche and user preferences, end quote. One method is to stare at your rock and think about all the good things you want it to do for you. I stare at my rock for hours thinking about winning free gas for a year. It hasn't worked yet, but I'll be ready. Another method of programming is to hold your crystal, rub it like it's a genie's lamp, and state your wish. And you have to state the wish loud and clear. No mumbling and no hesitation. Rocks only take wishes from confident people. For example, I got my piece of quartz here, so I'll just go ahead and do this right now. Okay, so I'm holding and rubbing the crystal. Hopefully you can hear it. I'll just rub it against the mic too. There you go. Here we go. <clears throat> I wish the McRib was a permanent menu item at McDonald's. It also says ask something realistic of the rock, so my wish probably won't come true. Now, after all these steps, your crystal is ready to use. Now, I made a lot of jokes in there, but the methods I described here are all actual ways of prepping and using your magic stones, so you can't get mad at me. Okay, so now we all know a fair amount about this belief. So the question is, does this actually work? Is there any scientific evidence that this holistic alternative medicine can actually produce positive results? Well, a 2001 study presented at the European Congress of Psychology in Rome tested if crystals could have some sort of unmeasurable energy. 80 participants filled out a questionnaire designed to gauge their level of belief in paranormal phenomena. The participants were then asked to meditate for five minutes while holding either a real quartz crystal or a counterfeit crystal made of glass. To no surprise, those who scored high on the paranormal belief questionnaire felt sensations for both the real and fake crystals, while those who scored low didn't feel anything on either the quartz or the glass counterfeit. So not even believers could tell the difference between a real and a fake crystal. Christopher French, a professor of psychology at Goldsmiths, University of London, said, We found that lots of people claimed they could feel odd sensations while holding the crystals, such as tingling, heat, and vibrations. We told them in advance that this is what might happen. In other words, the effects reported were a result of the power of suggestion, not the power of the crystals. So it doesn't seem that the crystals themselves hold any actual power or energy, but the human mind might. I'm sure most of us are aware of the placebo effect, which is a beneficial effect produced by a placebo drug or treatment, which cannot be attributed to the properties of the placebo itself, and therefore must be due to the patient's belief in the treatment. The placebo effect can be very powerful. This belief can produce real physical changes, and there are multiple studies that show that. So the positive effects of crystals can be very real, but the power comes from the human mind and not the rocks themselves. So there you go. So is there any harm to crystal healing? Well, besides some users' preference for crystals as opposed to seeing a licensed medical professional, the crystal industry as a whole is largely exploitative. Since the belief in crystal healing was first introduced in the U.S. in the 1970s, the demand for these stones have only increased and has skyrocketed in recent times due to multiple factors, including social media and especially since the COVID virus hit. The demand for these crystals has more than doubled in the U.S. since 2014, and crystal dealers, the mineral kind, not the meth kind, like Fine Minerals International, are raking in more than $40 million in sales each year. There's also very little regulation in this relatively new, lucrative industry. So where are all these crystals coming from? 
Well, a good bit of them are actually coming from Madagascar, which is actually one of the poorest countries in the world, with most citizens outside the cities living below the $1.90 a day poverty line. Here, more than 80% of crystals are artisanally mined, which means done so by unregulated small groups and families who are paid rock-bottom prices for the efforts of their work. Pun not intended. These unregulated miners do not work for companies, but are freelance workers who sell the stones they dig to actual crystal companies or middlemen who in turn sell them to companies for export and sales overseas. It is extremely dangerous work, with both injury and death being all too uncommon from accidents on the job like dust inhalation or mine collapses. They do this because it's the only way that they can make money, which the buyers of their product take advantage of because the miners have no real bargaining power and can only take what they're offered. Most crystal sellers claim that ethical sources are a large priority for them, but many actually have no idea due to the expense it takes to track the source of their product, and because of how difficult it is to do so due to the lack of regulation and the number of middlemen the product goes through. Now, I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone too hard. After all, a large amount of products that we consume most likely comes from less than ethical sources. I'm just throwing that information out there for anyone who had no idea. I certainly didn't. So what's driving this crystal craze? Well, as I mentioned earlier, COVID has caused anxious people to look for alternative methods of healing and protection. Social media has spread the ideas of new age lapidary medicine and the aesthetic appeal of the gemstones on social media sites like Instagram has further allured many an influencer to the crystal trend, aka crystals look real good and shiny in pictures and get you a lot of attention on social media, so that's why more people are buying them. Now that we're all sufficiently bummed out, now that we're all sufficiently bummed out, let's look at some real crystal products you can get online. On the appropriately named healingcrystals.com, you can get a wide variety of products, including crystals carved to look like angels, cubes, eggs, hearts, stars, wands, pendulums, and even skulls. I thought the crystal skulls were cool, but definitely not $70 cool. You can also get a quartz crystal carved to look like the Hindu god Ganesha, the elephant-headed god of beginnings, for the surprisingly low price of $20. On a separate site, I found an Elizabeth Locke gold necklace embedded with onyx, carnelian, lapis, rock crystal, and smoky quartz, all for the bargain price of $35,950. I don't even want to know how much shipping is on this thing. You can buy crystal-infused beauty products as well, such as the Shijal Sapphire Concentrate Face Oil, which has been infused with Himalayan blue sapphires and aquamarines for a, quote, sublime energy. This anti-aging oil will run you $175 for one ounce bottle. At one point, Kourtney Kardashian's lifestyle website, Poosh, yes, Poosh, sold a Richway Infrared Amethyst Biomat. The mat contained a healing plate and several pounds of amethyst crystals that emit infrared light when warmed, which surprisingly amethyst does actually do when heated, but it also looks like that most heat sources already emit infrared of some kind, so it's nothing special. You can get this mat, when it becomes next available, for $1,595. What a deal. Um, Spiritually Intimate sells bras with pockets for crystals. If you're into that kind of thing, 
you can pick one up for $74. No further comment on that. On Etsy, you can get all kinds of weird crystal products, including a mini troll doll, but instead of its signature head of wild hair, it has a celestite crystal glued to its head. Okay. Uh, some products that I actually think are cool are crystallized animal skulls. Borax can be used to grow borax crystals on bones, so the one I'm looking at is an ethically sourced crow skull encased in white crystal, only for the very specific price of $17.22. Like I said, I thought it was pretty cool, but probably not going to buy it. <laughs> and lastly, the most bizarre crystal product I could find was this. Pet's penis in a terrarium crystal jar. Here is the description. This is a one-of-a-kind pet cock in a crystal terrarium jar. Have you ever wanted a little fella living in its own environment? A pet without responsibilities? No need to water, feed, or please? Then this fella might just be for you. The little penis is handmade from resin with little sparkles in it, surrounded by real quartz crystals inside, inside and out of the glass jar he lives in. This is a handmade item, so there might be minor imperfections. This is how you know it is one of a kind and handmade. So, uh, yeah. $25 for a penis that's not even made of crystal, just surrounded by them in a jar as a pet. Yeah. And yes, you can actually get crystal penises, once again, if you're into that. If you can find a weirder crystal product than I did, please let me know at snipeonpodcasts at gmail.com. And that's it. All the crystal knowledge you can reasonably handle. There was definitely a lot more history behind it than I first thought, but the metaphysical aspect was just as ridiculous as I thought. No offense to your crystal lovers. You're fine. You got your crystals with you, I'm sure. Um, if you like the show, please leave a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever else will let you leave a review. It is super important to us and we really appreciate it. Please follow us on social media. We'd love to hear from you guys. We are also on Facebook and Twitter, as well as Instagram, Reddit, and YouTube. We're also on Patreon, and you can get some exclusive, super-secret bonus content like blooper reel episodes at Topic Voting for as little as $1 a month. And the $5 tier gets some extra spooky stories if you enjoy that part of our show. As usual, if you have a topic suggestion, a question, comment, criticism, or if you have a story you'd like us to share on our Encounters series, please contact us on social media or email us at snipepuntpodcast at gmail.com. This is also the email you can use to tell me how wrong I am about crystals. Time to end this episode with the final joke. I'm sorry for what you're about to hear. Hey, did you hear that they discovered a new crystal in Northern California? Want to know what they named it? Helotite. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Crystals and gemstones have long throughout history been believed to have mystical properties. From ancient Egypt to medieval Europe to the table of the modern witch. We humans have always loved these shiny things. They do seemingly have a benefit if you believe hard enough, but they also have a dark side in the problematic way the crystal industry sources its product. Regardless of what you believe, they have certainly provided some kind of vibe and created some interesting and not so frightening folklore.
Once again, we want to thank you for listening to Snipe Hunt. Your listening has been noted and will be reported to the proper authorities. All audio used was done so under the protection of fair use. Logo design is by Ethan Rothfuss. The music used for this episode was composed by Mayu in Nature World 1986. We'll continue to search for the unexplained and we'll hopefully see you on the next hunt.